Welcome to the Heart of the Father podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. You guys want to help me welcome up Barry and Dave? Come on, guys. Don't be shy. So as you know, we have a special morning today. Um, How many of you guys enjoyed Friday night? That was powerful. So if you don't know what's going on today, well, today we're going to finish up our conference called The Church, Sexuality, and Culture. And so we have Derek Paul, his wife Chantel, with us this morning. Powerful ministry, powerful lives. We've been getting to know them more over this weekend, and um, they're wonderful. There's something special about them. And so could you guys just help me welcome up Derek and Chantel Paul. We're just going to cram on this stage here and see what we can do. So we were, I was talking with Derek maybe earlier this week, and um, we can sit down, I guess. We're all standing, right? And we were talking about what this morning could look like and... We thought maybe he would share for maybe 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, and then go into a Q&A. Um, we were talking this morning, and we felt like we just should jump into a Q&A and uh, just try to draw some things from them, let them share uh, what the Lord has taught them over the years. Um, this issue of not necessarily just homosexuality, but sexuality is a big deal, and it affects everyone. And you may say, hey, well, I don't struggle with same-sex attraction, I'm, I'm good. Well, can I tell you, you, you need to be involved in this conversation. You need to be up to date, you need to be hearing what's going on so that if you meet someone or you encounter someone, you can be ready to say something. You can come with the word, you can come with truth. So there's so much confusion in this area, and Derek has come and he's bringing clarity, he's bringing conviction, he's bringing courage. And so we're excited just to jump in today. Um, can you first introduce yourself, tell, tell sure. some people who you are, and, and kind of share your testimony? Yeah, so first, um, I just want to thank you all for having me here. Uh, the elders and the people that have been attending this weekend have been such an encouragement to us. Um, dealing with uh, people's sexual brokenness is a heavy matter, and um, being able to see the faces of um, God's children who are welcoming Um, this conversation and are welcoming us into your church family is indispensable to us. We will remember you. It makes a big difference to us to see the goodness of the Lord and his people and to be reminded of of what the church can look like. And um, before we get started, I just want to um, let you know if many of you have dealt with some sex or gender insecurity in your own life. And if it hasn't been you, it's very likely someone that's very close to you or someone that you work with that you see every day. And that always has an impact. We draw conclusions when we're surrounded by things and we see things regularly with no, gu- no direct guidance in that area of what it would look like for things to change. And I just want to encourage you, you are not alone. Um, The Lord has been there. He has seen you. He knows what ideas and perceptions you've had along the way. And it's important for you to know that there is always more to God than what we are currently experiencing. He is vastly more powerful than we can expect 
and his grace carries us into seasons of revelation. Um, and that has been um, what has gone on in our lives. So I was a Methodist preacher's kid. My dad was a um, Bible-believing Methodist filled with the Spirit. I kept it on the down low. <laughs> and um, because of that, because of the inheritance that I received, um, there was a lot of protection in my life, spiritual protection, thank the Lord. Um, I've never acted out, I've never been with anyone but my wife, even though I had same-sex attractions from the time I was about four years old. And at first, I felt like God made a mistake on me, that I was born in the wrong body, that I should have been a girl, and I was misperceiving a lot of the things that healthy people around me were saying. My boys that were, the boys that were friends of mine in kindergarten would say things like, are you a girl? You sound like a girl. Were you supposed to be a girl? And I internalized, you know, these thoughts I already had were solidified by the comments around me. And while that may not seem like grooming, um, when you're misperceiving even healthy things, um, it drives you in a certain direction. And oddly enough, when I was in seventh grade, I was dared to try out for the cheerleading team. And I tried out for the cheerleading team um, in an area where that is not allowed <laughs> and experienced some bullying just from being on the cheerleading team and being a male on that team and internalized that that was because I was same-sex attracted, not because I was on the team. And there were a lot of things over time that I misperceived and I built this closet to live in. And a lot of times people will say, you know, I came out of the closet um, and I told people what was going on because we all want to be truly known, don't we? Yeah. We want to be truly known by the Lord. We want to be truly known by our family. We want to be able to connect and understand one another. We want to feel normal in our skin. And I really struggled with that quite a bit. And where does that security come from? That security comes from our Heavenly Father. And it comes from Him giving us revelation so we can accurately um, understand what's going on around us. And it comes from the body of Christ being there for us when we're ridiculous. And speaking the truth in love one such situation, I had a huge forgiveness issue with masculine men. Um, I had projected my every insecurity onto especially um, masculine country men, uh, men you know, from the country. And um, the, I went to a men's breakfast, which was the most terrifying thing of my life. Going to a men's event was absolutely terrifying. And I was already insecure, and I go, and this guy from my church says, hey, man, you never called me. Why didn't you call me? I thought, what a jerk. I was never going to call you. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and I, he said it in front of a bunch of other guys. And I got home, and I told my wife how this guy that we thought was our friend was really rude to me in public. And this is what she had to say about that. Um, so this person was a very outgoing person and it was kind of just his way of joking in a way. Um, and so I told him, I said, no, no, this guy, he is saying that because he likes you 
and wants to be your friend. Like that's his way of saying, when are we gonna hang out next? And Derek was just kind of like, really? I'm like, yes, he wants to hang out with you. Yes, so I had this feeling of being called out, almost not bullied, but close to it in public and a very insecure meeting, a place where I was feeling not comfortable. And because of my own insecurity, I was projecting that he was being cruel to me or rude. And the truth was that was this guy's way of saying, hey, we gotta get together, you know? And so when she helped reframe that for me, I thought, oh my gosh, I have judged this man. And really, he was outing himself saying, I want to hang out with you in front of a bunch of other guys and kind of modeling it for them. And so I had to forgive him and ask for forgiveness and a little bit grieve before the Lord that maybe I have been judging other people without knowing it and I need to forgive them. And as I would forgive the men in my life and become friends with them, I would see that a lot of it was in my head. I was living in my head and um, the Lord who is outside of me is able to minister in those areas and help me. So um, I just wanna encourage you that way that sometimes we make preconceived judgments that makes us even more sensitive when we don't need to be. And um, the, the more we have the Lord and we have the body of Christ around us to help you know, reframe these things in a healthy way, it really strengthens us, it makes us secure. If someone says something off, we're like, it could be me. I could be hearing this wrong. Let's just keep going. <laughs> and uh, we end up getting so, much, so many better experiences to build upon. Um, so when someone is actually rude, we know it. <laughs> and then we can immediately forgive them because we're in a habit of forgiveness. So, okay. Tell, tell the, the part, I, I asked you the same thing on Friday. Tell the part where when you guys weren't married but you were dating, and you opened up to her the first time about same-sex attraction and her response to you. Sure. So um, I had a real fear of opening up to the wrong people because I was in the competitive cheerleading industry and choreography. I was in musical theater major at a performing arts high school. And I was nervous that if I had come out that I would get hit on even more and then I might end up in the life and not be able to make it out. And so I would tell Christians, and most Christians will say, thank you so much for telling me, I'll love you no matter what. And that's a really nice thing to say. Um, in my perception though, it was also a contract that they better love me no matter what. And so um, I wouldn't necessarily seek healing, but I knew they better love me no matter what. And when I talked to Chantel, uh, we were friends. We hadn't started dating yet, but I realized the Lord was doing something. And I said to her, you know, I lied actually. I said, I'm not planning on going into the lifestyle, um, but I've been dealing with same-sex attractions nearly my whole life. And she said to me, um, I'm sharing your testimony here. Um, she said to me, okay, well, I know God can do anything what have you done about it? And, um, <laughs> and she had her own testimony. You know, she didn't have to have an ex-gay testimony, an ex-trans testimony to know the power of God for herself or for others. 
And so she was expecting, you know, you got to do something. And in my mind, and what I had seen on TV was everybody else needs to fix themselves so I can always be happy. So when she said, you know, what are you going to do about it? I was blindsided with responsibility. And she started getting testimonies on her computer while she was in college, and she would have me come over and watch them. So she would like pull things up, Dennis Jernigan, Stephen Bennett. Um, and it was the first time I had ever seen people leave homosexuality for Jesus. And that really started quite a bit. We even, my parents were not ready for my healing. And um, we ordered a binder, a comprehensive um, recovery from um, Stephen Bennett Ministries, hashtag Stephen Bennett Ministries, and had it sent to her dorm, basically, and then um, I started reading through it at her apartment. And so um, you might think, I don't have much to do with this, this doesn't affect me, this is my kid, my nephew, my aunt, my uncle, whatever, um, but you have a role to play. And the Lord has opened you up to this conversation for a reason. So, um, in talking about same-sex attraction, um, what can the church do to help them, welcome them into the church, whether they're, uh, they already attend church or they're just coming in? Um, give us some practical tips on things to say, don't say, act, don't act because of their perception from their their side sure so first um, we are commanded to love one another Jesus was speaking specifically to his disciples they will know us by our love for one another we can't be a light on a hill if they can't recognize that the church loves it one another And um, there are people in every congregation that are dealing with sex and gender issues. It may not specifically be homosexuality, but we need to learn to love one another. And when we're in this environment, it's a safe environment. It's an environment we, where we expect to get guidance. We humble ourselves when we come in the room. We worship our Lord and we're receptive. Um, where if we get that little check in our spirit, we need to say there's a reason, maybe there's something I need to learn here. And, um, you know, having a friend, a loved one, or someone even in church who's dealing with same-sex attraction can be overwhelming. Um, speaking from my personal experience, I was very needy. That's to be expected. That doesn't mean that one person has to carry that, or even two or three we have a whole body of Christ for a reason. And so um, letting people make disclosures, but then everyone being on the same page, people who know about it praying in the right direction, knowing what, is, what the sin is, um, is very helpful. Um, it can be really confusing for the church when we look odd. Um, a lot of times the way that people look on the outside is a reflection of what they see in the mirror looks good on them. And um, the Lord, yesterday, no one even said anything, which I thought was brilliant. I wore a rainbow plaid shirt yesterday. And um, I wore it on purpose because... Oh, no, we talked yeah, in the office afterward did you? about you. <laughs> well, I'm just going to keep going. Just that's, that's the next question. 
but yeah, but I wore it on purpose and I wore it because I knew that they would see beyond the shirt, um, but also because we all look different, but we're all children of God. And you cannot control how someone um, perceives themselves in the mirror. But at the same time, as someone who leaves LGBTQ, we have a responsibility to not purposefully confuse people. So um, there's a debate going on in the ex-gay community as to whether or not we should still be dressing like we're in the lifestyle. That's a welcome debate. And for those who are, um, who are seeing themselves in a mirror that's consistent um, with healing, um, we can only give what the Father has given us. So um, there might be a season where the Lord asked me to dress a certain way or do something to reach a certain group that day, and I have to trust that the church is strong enough to see through that and know there's a calling for that. Um, and even... You know, I'm an artsy person. I like art quite a bit. There was a time where my hair was completely bleached and it didn't look good on me. <laughs> it was very bad. <laughs> but um, but I ha there was a season where I had to meet with people that were similar to that look. And, um, and so I want to encourage you first for the church that doesn't deal with this and, you know, might be a little bit offset by the way people look. You know the heavenly father and you put people into his hands and you trust that he's working the same thing in your life. We all have blind spots. For those who are coming out of the lifestyle, it's really important for us to be respectful in the way that we look when we're in the body of Christ so that we don't cause confusion or people to hesitate when they come up to us. Um, if they do, that's fine. We all have that same heavenly father and forgiveness needs to be a part of our culture and letting people off the hook. To, I want to follow up to what Dave, his question. Yeah. So say someone's here this morning and they've never told anyone they've struggled with same-sex attraction and they're thinking, I'm never going to tell anyone. What would you say to that person? I would say um, to trust in the Lord and you'll know when the time is right and the door opens. There's, like, there's a grace for when the door opens and if you know that that person is holding a secret, you can pray for the timing of that door to open and that they would have the courage to walk through it and disclose it. When, um, when you open up a dirty closet, all dirty closets need to be opened, in my personal opinion. Otherwise, things get really stinky. And, um, and it's good to do it at the right time when you have the cleaning products and the willing help. And, um, and so I always encourage, you know, when someone comes out, please don't go into the closet with the person. <laughs> They've built a theme park. I built a theme park in that closet. And it was time for me to come out. And I had very gentle but perseverant people in my life to help me with making those disclosures. Uh, I had an accountability partner that I met with every week for over a year for three hours. And I told the secrets. And the thing that he taught me and he would consistently say is, God is only as big as the questions you're willing to ask him. Um, so when we have someone come in and they don't, you know, look as we were expecting, so what? We might have a blind spot that we don't know what we look like. But the Lord will deal with that. Um, so just to follow up on the same idea of same-sex attraction, there's really loud voices in the culture and in the church that say... 
if you deal with same-sex attraction, that is your destiny. You'll always deal with that. You can't get out of it. You're just going to either have to be a Christian and stuff it, but you're all, it's exhausting to think about that process of your whole life dealing with the same-sex attraction. A, is that your testimony? Do you, have you seen a lot of people who have struggled with same-sex attraction where they have become completely free from that? Yes, and the people who become the freest are the quietest you would never know they ever struggled. There are more people that are out of the lifestyle than are in it. You're, when we get to heaven, we're going to see all these people. It's very regular for me to go somewhere and for people to go, me too. My wife doesn't know. Me too. My husband doesn't know. You know, we all have um, things in our past but what we're responsible for is today. And I don't want to confuse anybody that you should be sus suspectful um, or skeptical of your spouse now that I just said that. <laughs> but um, there are the people, there's a period of healing where you, your attraction decreases in frequency and intensity and duration so much that you forget that you ever dealt with it. And that happened to me. I forgot that I dealt with same-sex attraction except for when I went through a McDonald's drive-thru. And they'd say, yes, ma'am. And I would pull around and the person would be like, oh, you know. And they'd go, oh gosh, here's your food. And um, sometimes they would say sorry and sometimes they wouldn't. And if they wouldn't, I would kind of preemptively think they might be grieving later for this situation. I'd be like, you don't have to say you're sorry. Let me tell you my testimony. <laughs> and then I would tell the McDonald's person, and then I'd hope the next time I went through, they didn't spit in my food. <laughs> but there are so many people out. It's unbelievable. And a lot of times, you know, we think of like the Pulse nightclub as this, oh, moment. But that was really a huge open door. There were people that because of what happened, they had been praying that God would get them out. And there are these two guys, Luis and Angel, in charge of Fearless Identity. They're, putting, they're helping put on this big event this next weekend in Atlanta, in the gay district, testimony and worship service. Um, you should totally be praying for them. Um, that the God used that to get them out. And we've had an explosion of people coming out of the lifestyle and in the last year, we've had an explosion of families coming into the ministry, namely parents. And we're seeing a connection with the parents and the children that is surprising to our parents. I mean, they're saying, Derek, I never thought it would happen this fast. In record time, I feel connected to my kid again. In record time, my child is disclosing all of these things. I had no idea that they were going through this, and I get to be there for them. And that's really what the heart of the father is about, right? <laughs> that's so bad. It's a dad joke. Yeah. No, that was good. They clapped. They did. All right, all right. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned um, parent-child relationship. Yes. What would you say to some parents in the room, say their child comes up to them and says, hey, I struggle with same-sex attraction, how do you respond to that as a parent? Yeah, so parents, um, when that happens, at first, I'll tell you, as an overcomer myself, I'd get really mad originally 
when parents would feel stunned. You know, because as someone who had held on to these feelings for so many years, um, I was a child going through this. And then for, a, for an adult, a grown adult to have trouble, I was like, why are they having so much trouble? I'm supposed to be having all the trouble, you know? And part of my healing was when the Lord is like, you know, shut up and listen. And I would hear these parents disclose their hopes for their children, their dreams for their children, why they were working so hard at their jobs. Um, and I realized, oh my gosh, I've been judging parents. And then the Lord would have me forgive parents. And I got to see they were completely valid reasons what they were going through. And so when your child is give, putting this out, I know that there's a real um, frustration and many people will kind of try to make their child a man or make their child a woman. And there's this definite push and feeling unction to do that. Um, but the truth of the matter is this needs to be a gentle process. And when they're disclosing this, what this actually means is that they trust you. They're, they're trying to see a child always wants the favor of their parents. They'll die wanting the favor of their parents. And so they're looking to see if they still have your favor, but still have your love, and if God is big enough. And so if you can encourage them and, um, and connect with them, it's really helpful. The way that parents connect with their children is the same thing you can do as a body of Christ to everyone out there. There are three things that gay people believe about God. They believe he isn't good, they believe he isn't um, all-powerful, and they believe he isn't everywhere. We know that's true, um, but when you see that you're dealing with something that will determine you to be gay forever and God says it's a sin, you think, God's not fair. And then when God seems to be healing everybody except for homosexuality, because all the people that get the most healing are the quietest, <laughs> you think, um, God's not all-powerful. And then when you see the gay community look so happy in pictures and the church is struggling with how to deal with this, you go, surely God isn't everywhere because they're doing fine. And that's just not the case. So as a believer, as a parent, as someone going out into the community, as someone working in a medical clinic, as someone at the university, what you can do is share what God is doing in your life testify to his goodness, his power, and his presence. It can be small, but what you're showing is they can't outrun God. God's so good, he even cares about the little things. And he's powerful enough to work in your life, and they didn't know it. Maybe they don't know other things that they should know. And so you're reinforcing um, the character of God, and you're priming the soil. Um, there's something I learned in OT school and that was when we're working with stroke patients, um, they put sensors on the stroke patient's brain. And when I would you know, reach for the Coke and bring it like this, all the places that lit up in my brain when I reached and grabbed the Coke would light up in the observer's brain when I reached and grabbed the Coke. And we would do that in front of the stroke patient and then we were priming their neural system for them to do this. God has designed us a specific way that we can benefit with little work. So when I worship in front of you, you gain the benefit even if you're sitting in the chair. And it's very important that we let our light shine. We are a city on a hill. So when you testify to God's goodness, you might think nothing is happening, but you're priming the pump. And they're experiencing all the benefit with doing none of the work. Yeah. 
what would you say to the parents? Um, I never knew a marriage could be like this. So um, if I am just like a symbol of some sort of hope for you or for a future for your child, um, there was times where it was pretty bad early on when he was going through the struggle and the process. And like, I hadn't seen that as a child growing up, a marriage, like my mother was a single mother. So um, God can do so much. Put your trust in him and pray for your child. I'm telling you, it gets way better. I never, ever in my wildest dreams imagined a love and a marriage so fulfilling and God-honoring as our marriage. So that's probably what I would say. Amen. So Derek, did your desires shift to your wife? Do you feel passionate towards your wife? Even though you struggled for years with same-sex attraction? Yeah, she knows the answer. Right. Yeah, so um, I dealt with pretty much exclusive same-sex attraction my whole life. And even before we got married, I would get the butterflies, but I still couldn't picture um, oh, my, even her in a sexual way. And I kept hearing the voice of the Lord say, go with the flow. <laughs> even on our wedding night, I heard the Lord say, go with the flow. And it, I was very nervous to be expected and my wife was very calm, which was good. And we like took it slow, let me be frank. Um, the first five years of our marriage, there was like, I would say the X factor that I was hoping for was not there. Like everything worked and it was good, but like the kind of spark that you expect wasn't there. And I, we didn't have any control over that, but that didn't mean I didn't give up and um, we kind of hit a breaking point in 2010 and I had a supernatural encounter with the Lord in my truck. And that was the beginning of a shift and a change where I accepted and I accepted the life God had intended for me and I quit being double-minded about it. And once that occurred, I took responsibility. The Lord had some fresh soil to plant in. And then when I would see my wife, there was a result, and it continued to develop, and my attraction for my wife became much stronger than any attraction I had had previously to anything. And so um, I, unfortunately, was like really addicted to porn, P&M, and that was a really bad coping strategy. Um, and when the Lord started to renew my heart and my body and my mind, um, we saw the difference that that made. And my attraction for my wife was more than anything I had ever had for porn or anything else. And it was, it's fulfilling and there's no shame. Um, so I would encourage, you know, you don't have to have the ending picture, but you can put it before the Lord and he can work on it. When it comes, it comes. 
So uh, you mentioned the word double-minded, and we know uh, the passage in Scripture, double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways, and you also mentioned pornography. So I would like to ask you for some specific steps that individuals in the congregation who struggle with whether it's same-sex attraction or pornography, lust, perversion, whatever, steps that they can take to overcome that. Okay. Um, so first, there's a difference between, for those who don't know, there's a difference between sexual attraction and lust. Sexual attraction is God-given, or else there, you wouldn't be sitting here. Lust is when you remove someone from their relationships with others for your own sexual gratification. So I make the analogy of like if a, a really pretty lady gets up in church and I'm good friends with her husband, even though she might be attractive, I make the conscious choice to respect her husband and not think of her in some sort of way. Similarly, even with a virgin in the church, who um, has a father, has a grandmother who's likely praying for her. There's a destiny and a plan for her life and that needs to be respected. Um, so I wanna put that out there first. One thing that the Lord did is he gave me, um, I knew that it was time to deal with the porn and the lust. And I came up with a plan with Jesus that there was a sequence of seven or eight things I would do before I would ever act out. And if I got through those things and still the, over, the overcoming whatever, then I would not look at anything, but I would do the M. And the first, so I had all these things. I'm going to list some of them for you. So first, I would ask the Lord to remove it. Then I would text or call somebody to let them know so I wasn't alone. And it also made me disclose what I was going through. Um, I, one of the things was I would read a chapter of scripture. Another thing is I would worship. Um, but I had a whole list of things to kind of rewire my brain and get me used to, you know, making a holy place around me and the fact that I might be able to overcome this. And the first time was seven or eight weeks. I went seven or eight weeks before fall. And then the next time was seven or eight weeks. And then the next time I went about eight months. And the next time was about a year and a half. And when you get to where you're thinking of people purely for a long period of time, you start to forget what it was like. And um, you start to realize that the temptation isn't who you were meant to be. And you're like, oh, that's not me. That's just a temptation now. It's easy to differentiate. Um, and so I talked to a lot of our guys besides discipling them in prayer um, and reading their Bible. Um, we talk about, you know, making a, health, a holy environment and stewarding our body well. And those were some of the things we did. And so eventually I got so used to the habit of, you know, if a temptation came, I would like declare over that room. I would sing to the Lord. I would recite scripture. I would text a friend. I had trained myself. And, um, you know, if there's a tempter, they really don't like to be around someone like that. Um, it's kind of like when someone hits on you and you're just like, in Jesus' name. <laughs> and they're just, they don't like that. 
So eventually those guys stopped coming around. And um, the tempters kind of were like, I'll go to an easier subject. I'm not going to hang around this. You know? So that was a big part of it. But it's in, I can't tell you the immense weight off of my mind of not having, not having this unsubconscious sexualizing people all the time. It was such a huge distraction and exhausting spiritual and emotional experience. And it's so wonderful to be able to look at people in the eye and see them for who they are. When I used to look at people, I'm gonna give a horrible example. So um, many of y'all know Chris Hemsworth. He's not an ugly dude. You know, a lot of us guys in the room were like, gosh, I wish we looked like him, never gonna look like him, that's just how it is, right? So he was recently in a movie that took advantage of him and they used a filter to make him look prettier. And it was such a shame it like bothered me because that's what it used to be for me. I would look at someone and it was like my unmet needs promoted a filter on them. And they looked in a way that would make them more attractive to me, but it wasn't real. I was like living vicariously through this filter that wasn't real. And there's a point where you have to let the fake die and become content in the life and the plan God has for you. And so when I see that now, I'm like grieved because I know that there are same-sex attracted individuals and even opposite-sex attracted women out there that see that and it becomes a stronghold in their mind and it makes me mad. But now like my go-to is, you know, in Jesus' name, you know, break this off of them, let them see him as a person, you know? And, and when I, there was this guy that was attractive at my church that was not nice. So that I had two things to go through with him. But when I would talk with him, when the healing started coming, I would start to see him as a person. And like I could notice the differences in the heights of his ears. I could see his jawline for what it was. I could see what his nose really looked like. Um, before that, I was like, there was this projection onto him. And it was so wonderfully relieving for it to be gone. And then if he was rude, I wouldn't react because I wasn't distracted. It's great. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> so you had mentioned as part of your healing, supernatural encounter by God, right? Yeah. In, in, in the sequence of events, which happened over how many years? I mean, you're That's such a at, hard question. You're starting at four, but. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was a number of years, right? So it was yes. a process for you. Um, so first question is, do you believe it's normally a process? And secondly, I want to ask you the controversial question because that's who I am. Um, right. what, what place do you feel like deliverance from demonic oppression has in getting free from same-sex attraction or even a gay lifestyle? Great. So um, does anyone know of the name of the spirit that deals with people dealing with homosexuality? Where's it listed in the Bible? So um, I don't, I have never found the homosexual spirit in the Bible, but they all are deceptive. So it doesn't take just like one. So I, I don't know, it hasn't been revealed to me if there's like one that's name is literally sodomy, um, but that one would likely deal with men and women too. 
like in that relationship. Um, but the demonic are opportunists. And they, um, their job is to project things, to make you hear things a certain way, to, you know, confuse you and to frustrate you. And they ex ex um, exploit vulnerability. That's what they do. And so um, if there is a demonic oppression or possession, it needs to be dealt with because it's demonic. <laughs> if you know it's demonic, it's demonic. Um, both human beings and the demonic can exploit people at their developmental stages. Human beings are created with God design. We know from scripture that we are made in the image of God and our human development is a complete reflection of that. And so it doesn't matter if it's a demon or a person exploiting someone at a vulnerable stage of transition, um, but that's what can happen. So if someone's like dealing and you can kind of tell. If they're dealing with an oppression or a possession, they're gonna have certain, um, like in the medical terms, signs and symptoms, and you'll know and you can address those things specifically. Um, for many people who are, have a prodigal story, who are Christians first, and uh, went into the lifestyle because they felt like God wasn't enough for them or Christianity wasn't enough for them, they come to the end of themselves and realize that it was much better being a Christian than being in the life, and they return. Um, that specific group of people is very, thinks positively in general of Holy Spirit encounters and deliverance. Um, not all groups are as supportive of that, but that group definitely is, and we see that a lot. And I think part of that is because the experience of the Holy Spirit and the experience of deliverance makes God very personal. And where before they may have only had an intellectual peace, they realize God's love and his power to reach them wherever they are. And so um, it's really, a, it's a big part. I mean, the spiritual world and the world that we see are, in, are completely interlaced. And, um, and so I'm glad you brought that up, but I guess that's my answer on that one. Okay, so kind of staying in that, that topic there, yeah. there's this idea that you're born gay. So if you can answer that, are you born gay? And then if not, um, how much does, are you seeing as far as someone having demonic attack in possession or somebody just has a lot of trauma in their life and that leads them into a life of homosexuality? So I guess I'll go back and ask yes. the first question. Can you be born gay? No. Okay. Next question. Uh, I wanted, can I, just, I explain I, why? I, I, I just wanted that to sit for a second. No, all right, there's no, no, that's good. Go ahead, explain what do you want yeah, to say. Yeah, I tell people that you can't be gay unless you're straight. Um, there are, a way that human beings are created, you can't be exploited unless you know what to exploit. And so the way that we are designed by God is to procreate, as he said, fruitfully, and it's good. And um, unfortunately, we have this like group of fallen angels that have been watching humanity for a while and know how to further exploit things. Um, but number one, if anyone knows of the one gay gene that makes people gay, you should tell the scientists because they've never found it. 
Um, the things that do supposedly possibly impact are so insignificant that they say that it's not true. And even the leading gay activist researchers say we need to stop saying that it's untrue. It does us harm when we say that because people can say you're liars. So there's that. Um, and then we have this idea, especially even within nursing schools and med school, that the release of uh, male and female hormones um, can increase someone's ability. And in reality, hormones and genetics play a role in interests and physical makeup and strength, but it does not determine or force someone to start sexualizing someone of the same sex. So if I receive a lot of, um, if I receive like progesterone or estrogen and a low amount of testosterone for some reason, that might impact the, the makeup of my body, how strong, how built I am, how apt I would be for physical um, sports and things like that. And people might start treating me different. Um, we found that people treating you different because of things like that, um, which in some circles is called grooming and some circles is just called being human, um, <laughs> that it can impact someone's self-perception, and self-perception is everything. So that's the longer answer on that. I like it. Okay. All right, so obviously each person, you have a unique story, so um, we're gonna generalize here. But looking at those who struggle with same-sex attraction or who are currently living a homosexual lifestyle, is that usually, typically, generally traced back to some type of trauma, pain, growing up, something that happened that leads them into that kind of lifestyle? Or is it just kind of nothing happened and they just want to live it now? Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, um, because we have kind of isolated and made ourselves distinct from Christians that study this, and um, also there has been a censorship so that the gay community or the gay culture cannot find out the truth. Um, it has been hidden from them on purpose that it is accurate to say that a majority of people dealing with sex and gender issues have had trauma. And it's regular when um, people who self-identify as gay or trans, when they get together and they talk about their upbringing, that it'll come out that they have been traumatized, but it's like, the connection to that doesn't get linked. People kind of hear it and go, oh, similar story, but they don't realize like almost everybody or everybody in the room has been through something. That might be a thing, you know? And, um, but the research has shown that yes, that in general, people dealing with homosexuality have had sexual trauma. Um, and we've had people in our ministry who, we do an intake, an orientation, and they'll, I'll ask them what sexual experience they've had. And they'll say, um, oh, I haven't had any. And I'm like, okay, and I'll write it down. And then four to six months later, someone will come to me and say, so Derek, I need to talk to you. You know, this happened. My cousin and I were doing this or what have you. It, would this be considered a sexual thing? And I'm like, yes, that would. And, um, and they'll grieve with, you know, me for the first time. And so a lot of people are not aware that what they were going through was not normal because it became normal for them. And they don't know to say anything because it seemed consensual after the first time. But many times they'll say, what was the first time like? And they'll go, I was terrified. 
And I'm like, see, so, you know, children cannot consent to sexual behavior and activity with another person. And they're like, never? And I'm like, no. So, um, so they start to realize they have a lot of things to deal with and to practice speaking that with the Lord and with a healthy church. And some of them are referred for licensed counseling. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then, so this is where you, because there's pain, there's some sort of trauma, you either have the demonic involved mm-hmm. with that where they need deliverance or, and or they need counseling, they need mind renewal, yes. they need shepherding, they need a body of people to come around them. Yes, and you know, pastoral counseling is really powerful because you're integrating someone's faith and the way that God has designed them together. It's really incredible. It is true. There are people that are demonically oppressed and possessed. Um, Some of the signs will be that when they pray, they feel like their prayers don't go anywhere. If you ever feel like your prayers aren't going anywhere, there's a reason. And it's not because you're a bad person, God doesn't love you. It's because there might be something that is hindering your prayers. Um... And that is, you go to your pastors, you go to your elders, you can talk to your Sunday school teacher, and, you know, you can find some support there. Um, Chronic bilateral illnesses, things that are slow, progressive, debilitating, painful. Um, It's not always that way, but for people who might be dabbling in um, the occult, um, they get taken down slowly and painfully. And... um, And so that's something that we've seen. We've also seen people who would even go to seminary. They're very devout Christians and their same-sex attraction keeps getting in the way and they end up starting to dabble in something they shouldn't and they get demonically harassed. And um, we're not afraid of that at all because of our Savior, Um, but it does have a significant impact. You know, they get kind of bullied in the spirit and so we pray for them. We have the laying on of hands. We fast for them. Um, and we do see some deliverance. But we, in our area, have people that are really good at deliverance. <laughs> so I'll go with them to there. And they have a support um, yeah. when they go for deliverance. That's good. Yeah. So um, what should our posture in the church be? to what's going on outside there as far as the push for LGBTQ and gay rights and all of that in our culture. Sure. So the Lord um, dispenses power, love, and a sound mind. And there's a scripture where Jesus calls us um, to be as wise as snakes and as innocent as doves. He doesn't see say, be as wise as a rabbit and as innocent as a dove. I don't know how many of you have had rabbits, um, but they are very flighty at the least little thing. They are a prey animal. And there are, in the church, there are those who are rabbits. And something will come up that's a challenge and they'll go, well, I'm just going to let the Lord deal with that. And they won't testify, they won't stand, they won't pray. And then when nothing really bad seems to happen initially, they'll go, that was the right response. And so they're flighty like a rabbit. And they kind of turn the other way when there's a challenge. But then they're innocent as a dove still, so everything's good. But the truth of the matter is, we are supposed to be wise as a serpent. This is a predatory animal 
This is an animal that can dodge and weave and still stay focused and get what he wants. This is an animal that um, it has a trait of being evil. And so when we understand how Satan works, when we understand how um, our society is manipulated, we do not shy away. We look at dead on, we give it to the Lord, and we use wisdom, and we keep going for the prize. Our job is to take back ground. And so we need to, you know, set our face like flint and keep going. Um, so I want to encourage the body of Christ to be as wise or as shrewd as a serpent. Don't think because you acted like a rabbit that that was what you were supposed to do. But be as innocent and pure as a dove when you do it. So, um, what's one area you think the church could have done better when it comes to people who are in the LGBT community? And, yeah, what's something the church maybe could do better from your perspective on approaching them or being in relationship with some of them? Because I think for the most part, we are afraid that something's going to jump on us. Mm-hmm. You know, you got something that's going to get me and, you know, we're, or we just, we stay away. Um, we don't really know what to do, what to say. Say I'm in a conversation with someone, they're not a Christian, but they're mm-hmm. living a homosexual lifestyle. Well, to me, my natural mind is like, well, man, I got to tell them they're, like, that's, that's sin. That's the first thing I got to address because it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would, what do we do? How do we handle that? Not a small question. (laughs) So, um, and you're probably going to help me with this one. It's important to be steadfast. You don't get that from just wanting it. Um, You get that from practicing it. Um... There is this, you know, one of the things I like about this church is the way you worship. You worship until you sense the presence drop. And then you keep going. You have been trained how to win and how to please the Lord. Before his presence drops, when his presence drops, after his presence drops, expecting it to drop again. And that is the attitude you need to take in everything. The Lord never stops talking. You're never going to stop listening, and you're going to keep trucking on. There's something that happens where, um, you know, you hear these stories, and they're like flinch hesitation moments on TV. And you're like, oh, are we ever going to be part of that? Oh, I don't know. And... I'm, let me give you an example. Let's say someone in your congregation stands up for Christ in the workforce. And they're, let's say they get fired. What do you do? Um, do you listen? Do you pray? Is that it? Or do you write a letter? Or do you go to, you know, like if it's someone at Publix, you go and say, I miss Susie. Why is Susie gone? You need to hire her back. The story's not over for Susie. Um, 
when you know people are afraid of lawsuits. There are Christian lawyers that are bold. Use them. They are waiting in the wings for you. So we had this thing happen in our own church where someone was getting bullied because of their faith. And I'm like, we need to stick up for them. We need to go in there and say, oh, I love, you know, Jonathan. Where's Jonathan? We need to garner favor for Jonathan. We need to all go in there. If it happens again, we need to start writing letters that they know if they mess with Jonathan because of his faith, that we are standing with him. We're not just praying for Jonathan, we're doing something for Jonathan. Then if they fire Jonathan, we get a lawyer together for Jonathan. And then we stand with them and we testify and we let people know that they are not alone. Um, It's really important that we stick together. The Lord has given us so much. We will win. The Lord will never leave you. Don't act like a baby. (laughs) You know, when someone's struggling with their gender and they start presenting a different way, ask them why. Ask them why. And then they say it and you can speak into that. You can speak vision into that. You can share scripture. You can share your testimony. You can say what God did in you. It was my wife's testimony with the Lord that gave her the courage to know God could do anything for me. And she believed for me. For years and it ministered to my heart so I want to encourage you first the church is not a screw-up you have not been a failure that is a delusion you've done 95% of everything absolutely perfect and there have been some um, misperceptions on some things along the way we're just fine-tuning baby we're gonna get to 100% I think a lot of people think that the church has just been failing, failing, failing. We just haven't been standing, standing, standing in the public arena. And this this faith never stops. So I just want to encourage you in Jesus' name. You are not a failure. Your Savior has not failed. He is always with you. Be bold. Sometimes I hate taking pictures, okay? And the Lord told me, remember that I am between you and the camera. And so I take a picture and I'll remember Jesus is between me and the camera. You know, and you need to remember Jesus is between you and that person that doesn't believe like you believe and he sees them on the toilet. (laughs) That's true. That reminds me in basketball, we would, um, we'd be, I played division two level, so we played division one team. We played like Miami, some of these bigger name schools, Butler, et cetera. And, uh, you know, we'd all be kind of nervous because like division one, those guys are the monsters, right? And we would always say uh, they eat, poop, and sleep the same way we do. Amen. So, like what you're saying. Yes. Um, so, in, so what you're saying is the church needs courage. The church needs conviction. The church needs to stand and use her voice. Yeah. How, how many people have ever won a national title? Okay, mine was cheerleading, but come on. Before I would go to practice, I would watch the best team on video. My dad hated it. I'd watch the best team, and then I would go into practice. Every practice, my dad hated it. Before I went to a competition, I would watch the best team before I went on. 
every time I reminded myself of what the best was. We have the book. Preach to yourself before you go into work. To put on sandals to remind myself that, you know, Jesus walked in sandals and I was a prince. When I went into the college campus, they looked bad on me, but I wore them. You have to do things to set your mind on things above. That's okay. Come into it like a winner. Yeah. I have a, <clears throat> I got one more question here. And this is going back to parenting with kids. So um, we were meeting yesterday morning and uh, a lot of the parenting questions came up and I gave an example with Allison and I and our kids um, that, so one morning, this was months ago, um, Allison was doing, putting her makeup on and uh, Josie was like, mommy, can I put a couple, you know, a little bit on too? So, you know, she's putting on some. And then Zeke was like, I want to put on makeup too. And at first I'm like, what is this about? Was, <laughs> like, I don't know. We're supposed to be like Tim Allen. Like, oh, oh, oh. You know, that, like, we don't do makeup. Like, we don't do makeup. We don't do that. Um, but I, you know, I just was like, it's okay. You know, we told him, no, guys don't wear makeup. And, you know, just kind of explained and, and shared a little bit with him. But I think for some of us parents, there's that fear of like, what if my child wanted to wear a dress and they're playing dress up or what if the makeup thing and like, oh gosh, uh, like, what do, we, what do we do about that? Yeah. I'm gonna have you answer this, but I wanna encourage them with something. Um, how much Jesus do you need before you'll live like it? How many miracles do you need to see before you believe in them? For God's sakes. You know, I was a pastor's kid. I saw some stuff. And then, you know, the Lord was really doing things in my life. But there's a point where you need to say, okay, enough's enough, I believe. And I'm going to act like it. I want to encourage you, don't wait till it's like 2,000 times. The Lord says that it's a wicked and adulterous generation that's always looking for a miracle or a sign. That doesn't mean that miracles and signs are bad. What it means is the person who, you know, just the day before he fed a multitude and the same person comes around and says, show us another so we know you're the son of God. And it's like, just yesterday I fed a multitude. Like how many do you need to see? You either believe or you don't believe. So I would encourage you, quit waiting on something new. Act like he's the son of God for Nat Christ's sake, you know, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Anyway, like how much do you need? How much do you need to be able to forgive an elder or a deacon? How much forgiveness do you need? You're responsible, I don't know. At the end of your life, you're gonna stand before the Lord and you will stand there, not with an elder or a deacon staying next to you and you go, I don't know, I defer to him. Like grow up. It's time. We have been given everything we need to win. If he, if he like, has sprinkled dust from the ceiling, that's icing. You know, we already got the cake. Chantel, what, anyway. would, you, what would you say to parents who are afraid? Um, so, I feel like as a parent myself, we have three kids. Um, you're constantly 
there's this like pressure that, you know, you got to do the right thing. You want your kid to grow up and be all these amazing things. And you're just trying to do a best, the best job you can. And if there's anyone here that has a child that maybe is in the life or taking, going down the wrong path, I just, I want you to just, I don't, it's like, stop condemning yourself. You did the best that you could with what you had. You can't be Jesus for your child. Only Jesus can be Jesus. You can pray for your child when they come to see you, look at them in the eye, put down the phone or whatever, and just talk to your child. But you cannot be the change. Like, you cannot change your child. You can only give them to the Lord, and you need to pray for them. But you cannot be like Jesus for them. Let Jesus do what he does. You, you guys talked yesterday about doing healthy modeling of masculinity and femininity. And I thought that that was really powerful. Maybe you could recap that just a little bit as far as yeah. your children are how old? 10, 8, and 6. Okay. So how do you model in your home masculinity and femininity that helps them to recognize what they're supposed to be like? Um, so obviously we do things that are appropriate at the right ages for children. We do our best. And we try to give them nine out of 10 all experiences are positive memories and experiences. Um, the Bible is the foundation of our home. And we talk about our vulnerabilities with our children. So when they feel vulnerable, they're not surprised where it came from. <laughs> We apologize when we yell at our kids and we talk about our failures and how we have to trust God to teach us and help us to be good parents. Um, which one? Oh yeah. So um, I'm not naturally a football player. I've tried and I don't like it. I really, really don't like football. I really don't. And I know that that's like a sign of masculinity. How much do you not like it? Like so much. Okay. You know, so I really tried. I was... Uh, he's uh, like, he's more of a, a nerd. So he likes to read research articles. He likes to go to museums. Those are things that he's interested in. Come on, where are the nerds yes. at? <laughs> Geeks for Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, and so when I notice that my son is, like, acting up and, like, you know, terrorizing my daughters, I'm like, that's a sign that we need, like, daddy time. And so, you know, we don't, like, always throw the ball around. Sometimes we do. But most of the time, we go to Walmart. We go to Tractor Supply. We go get a hot fudge sundae at McDonald's. We just do, like, a guy time. So I don't impart masculinity and he is masculine. I don't impart masculinity by trying to make him be a man. Um, because I am masculine, when I approve or accept him and support him, um, he innately gets masculinity. That masculinity has accepted him. 
And so I can't do anything from singing to flags to whatever. He may or may not like it. But whenever I approve him as a man, he gets masculinity. So my wife could try to teach him to throw a football or whatever, but she did two things wrong. Number one, it's not the thing you're doing that's masculine. It's the person you are. And so she cannot impart masculinity to my son. And there, there's no substitute for a father and there's no substitute for a mother. Um, and so it's really important that even if we are in a situation we find ourselves where we're a single parent, a father or a mother, that we um, notice that God has created both male and female in his image and we actively welcome healthy femininity to accept our child or masculinity to accept our child in the form of the church. Oh, so a lot of dads will come to me and say, like, you know, I want to do something with my son. Should I take him fishing? Should I take him camping? And I'm like, does he like that? And they're like, oh, I don't know. But I want him to be, like, masculine. And I'm like, well, this is how it happens in us. So, like, if we're working together at a job and I go to the water cooler to get water I'm like, hey, how's it going? Good. Like, I'm really excited about taking my kids to Disney this weekend. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. It's like, yeah, we got a really good deal. We're staying at a nice place. Total surprise. But we're just going to blow some money at Disney. They're like, oh, okay. So then the weekend goes by and Monday comes back around and you run into the guy again. And you're like, hey, how'd Disney go? And he's like, went good. Thanks for remembering. You know? And all of a sudden, I've affirmed him as a man. He matters. It's not about the football or the fishing. It's about a male affirming a male. And so I talked to the dads about that. I'm like, let's communicate with your son. They're like, well, they do video games. I'm like, okay. You don't have to know him or like him, but you can ask how it's going, what game is he on, and pay attention, and then affirm him by remembering what he says. And so it's not that mysterious. It's just like what we do in church all the time. In my church, people didn't really like cheerleading, but people would go, oh, don't you have a competition coming up? And if it was like a guy in my church, I was like, holy cow, he remembered, you know? And then who was I going to go to about what happened at that competition? I was going to go to him. So we're bonding, man. That's how bonding happens. It's not necessarily like hyper-masculine events. Yeah, that's good. Okay, we're closing up here. Um, so you guys were in the back, waving flags, dancing. What's that about? Yeah. <laughs> Do you want me to okay. So uh, Derek went to a conference. It was called Hope for Wholeness. This was in 2014. 15. 15? Yeah. Um, and um, as you know, Derek was a male cheerleader, very good at what he did. Um, so sometimes I, there would be red flags when the cheerleading thing would maybe like come back up. I'm like, are you struggling? What's going on? So he comes back from this conference and he's like, I got flags. You won't believe it. I was worshiping with flags. So I was naturally like red flags were going up. I was concerned that he was struggling again. What happened at this conference? I am not a creative. I wouldn't describe myself as a creative person. Um, but yeah, go from there. <laughs> yeah. So the Lord had been, 
I go to this conference and I think I get invited to a worship work breakout session and then they pull out the flags and I'm like, oh no. Like I don't, I don't want people to view me as a feminine person. Like I don't want them to treat me differently and then it feels like it used to feel. So I didn't want to do the flags and there was this whole like God thing that happened where the Lord totally set me up and humbled me and I felt like I'm supposed to do this for the Lord. This is his desire in worship, is for me to worship him with flags. And so I got home and I told her, and at the same time he was ministering to my heart, that people need something that, they can, that resonates with them. It's not about you, really. And so she asked me, like, are you struggling again? And I was like, no, I, you know, what do, what do I do when I go to downtown and there's like drag queens and there's people from the life and they're used to like being flamboyant and they're used to art or these people. Um, I feel like the Lord is going to use this as a key to open them up to see how God works in me and others. And she's like, okay. So this whole thing came about with flags and it was humbling and it helped me realize of deeper freedom and using my body and getting used to this strong body I've been put in. And then people who were um, even kind of confused about flags would try it. They'd go, wow, that was the most freeing experience I've ever had during worship. I'm like, no kidding, it is incredible because you are humbling yourself. So when I would go to worship, I would ask the Lord, what do you want it to look like? And then as the Lord would show me like a move or something with the flags, I would do it for him. And I would do it for him until he gave me a new idea of how to worship him. And so it tends to go to the music, but I'm basically trying to train myself to pay attention to the Lord for the entirety of the song and give him what he wants back through the worship flags. It's beautiful. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry, or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.